0: So we're in Acts chapter 16, and we've been going through this. I'm going I'm to give you some recap because it's been a couple months since we've been together, just in case you forgot what we were doing here. Uh, real brief, just kind of recap. Main thing we were hitting last semester was Paul's first missionary journey. Now, you'll remember from last semester that there's three main missionary journeys that Paul went on. And the last semester, we really spent a lot of time on his very first missionary journey. That whole first missionary journey, the apostles prayed, and they sent out Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas, you know, really, in a lot of ways, Paul was in the ministry because of Barnabas. Barnabas was a, you know, son of encouragement. He found Paul, encouraged Paul. When the other apostles kind of wanted to be away from Paul, Barnabas went and stood by Paul and so they were they were really kind of knitted together, and the apostles saw the call on both of their life, and they sent them out on their first missionary journey. Now, in that first missionary journey, and we can look at the map. I think we have the, uh, I know we have the maps here. I want you to see these things so you can kind of get a visual picture of it in your head. But over there to the left, let's see, it's my, let's see, is that right? Is that your left? No, sorry, right. It's hard up here, you know, it's, it's It's not as easy as it looks, you know, that's, uh, okay, anyway, you start in Antioch off to the right, uh, and I know it's kind of small, but you can see the blue arrows that go south towards Cyprus, that's where the missionary journey began, and then they go up through these different regions. Now, it can be really confusing when you're reading scripture, because you get really two different kind of uh, descriptions of where they're at. So if you see the provinces, which is all the colored regions, all right, you've got Asia. You've got Galatia, you've got Cilicia, but then inside of each of those you have certain cities. So it'll be kind of confusing if you read, well, they went to Galatia, and then there they went to Lystra and Derby, and you think, what? And if you're just reading it and you don't see the map, you're like, well, I don't understand. Are they in Lystra? Or are they in Galatia? Where are they at? Well, this is why, because these were provinces of the Roman Empire. So when it says they were in Galatia, but then they hit Lystra and Iconium and Antioch and Derby. which there's two Antiochs, by the way. That could be confusing, too. So on this first journey, they're hitting that. This was a shorter journey. It was one year. And this is uh, the main thing that happened here was when you read the book of Galatians, all the churches that he's writing to were, est- all the churches of Galatia were established on that first missionary journey. So if you see that green section up there, that is the province, the Roman province of Galatia. And so it'd be, you know, this was how things were divided up. Inside of Galatia you had Derby, Lystra, Iconium all these places where they did most of their work. Well when you read the book of Galatians and it says to the churches of Galatia, he's just lumping all of them together. In other words, there's not a we don't have a letter in the New Testament to Lystra. We don't have a letter in the New Testament to Derby or Iconium. You only have a letter to Galatia, but it's it was expected that that letter would be passed around, that the believers, as they traveled, they would pass it around, and they would bring it from city to city, all the churches of Galatia, okay? So the first missionary journey was about one year, and uh, the Holy Spirit said to Paul and Barnabas to set them apart. They go off on that, and, and uh, you, if you'll remember some of these things, they, they, when they came to Cyprus, they met Elimus the magician, if you remember him. And uh, he was made blind because he opposed Paul. Uh, as a result, the proconsul, who was the Roman governor of that province, was saved and became a believer. See, all these, all these stories are important because when you read the book of Galatians, now you understand the people that are associated with that book. So likely. When Paul's writing the book of Galatians, he's got this guy in mind. He's got Elimus, the magician, who, who eventually came to the Lord. He's got this proconsul, the Roman governor, in mind. So they're, they're there for about one year. And um, this also on the first missionary journey, if you remember, they came to a place called Perga. And this is where John Mark leaves them, Paul and Barnabas. So John Mark was very young. He was Barnabas' cousin. He was on the missionary journey. And if you remember, they got to Perga, things got hard. We're not exactly told why, but John Mark said, I'm done with this. Now, remember, the whole missionary journey was only a year. So they hadn't, they're had not they not very far into the journey. Matter of fact, this was only their second stop. And John Mark's like, I'm done. I'm tapping out. Uh, this is too hard. I don't know what it was. It doesn't say. You know, I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating. I, I don't know what the problem was, but John Mark was like, I'm, I'm done. So you might as well say John Mark was a quitter. All right, he quit. Now, I'm sure John Mark, you know, had good intentions and he was young in the ministry and all that. We spent a lot of time talking about that incident because this ended up being the incident that ended up splitting Paul and Barnabas. Because on their next missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to, give Paul, uh, wanted to give John another chance. He said, look, you know, he, he made this mistake, but we got to give him a chance. And Paul said, I love John Mark, but no, he's not coming because uh, the mission comes first. And and we spent a lot of time talking about the differences between Paul and Barnabas and how really the body of Christ needs both, right? You need Barnabas that walk in love and mercy and grace, and you need Paul's that are more kind of militant and like, no, we're getting the job done and mission first, and Barnabas was like people first, you know, so that's a big difference. And you find those kind of people in the body of Christ, and it's it's a good thing. We do know that John Mark, uh, we do know that John Mark did end up being in the ministry, wrote the gospel of Mark. And that he, you know, there's another point in Paul's ministry, I forget which epistle it is, where he actually asks for John Mark. He said, John Mark is useful to me, please, please bring John Mark. So we know they reconciled their relationship and all of that. I know, I'm, I know I'm like running through this at a blitz pace, but we already covered all this. I'm just going, trying to get to where we're going to be at tonight. So John Mark, they, he separates, they leave him, and uh, they, they go on to Antioch. And Paul is asked to preach in the synagogue. He preaches the best gospel sermon, really, you'll probably read in the New Testament. He's invited back on the next Sabbath. The whole city shows up. Then the Jews oppose him. Uh, they're, They're rejected. Gentiles are accepted. They shake the dust off their feet, and they keep going. They arrive at Iconium. They have great success. But the Jews from Antioch followed them there. And they eventually end up stoning Paul. So it's a big, big fiasco, big problem. But they were having some fruit. Uh, they were, it was at Lystra that they heal a crippled man, which leads to uh, them getting stoned. They rise up and preach in Derby. And then they return home the same way that they came. Uh, they kind of they kind of turn back and go through all the regions, just hitting them again and catching people and talking to disciples and strengthening people as they go. So that was the first missionary journey. In kind of a five minute, you know, recap, real real quick there. But you can always go on the website and catch up if you want to, and go back and listen to some of those if you've forgotten them. We have 27, I think, sermons counting tonight. It'd be 27 for the Book of Acts. So there's a lot there. Okay, so now we get into, and this is right where we ended last semester, we get into Paul's second missionary journey. So they took some time off, and um, they're getting ready to start their second missionary journey, and we did just get at the very beginning of that, and this is right in there where we left off last semester. This, this is where Paul and Barnabas separate. They get ready to start the third missionary journey, and they have this disagreement over John, uh, John Mark. And so they separate. Barnabas goes and does ministry elsewhere, and Paul begins this second one. He takes Silas, if you'll remember, and uh, Silas joins him on this journey. Now, this one lasted three years. So this one was a lot longer, and it was a lot bigger. We can look at that map also, and I'll show you that one uh, on the second missionary journey. So same thing, they start at Antioch, but this time, instead of going uh, south, They go north. So they head back towards Galatia. They visit Derby, Iconia, Lystra, all that again. And then the, the pink section there, which is Asia. If you remember, they came right to the edge of that. And the Holy Spirit spoke to them and, and said... Actually, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit would not allow us to go into Asia. So they just skip right over. I mean, they, they go through the very tip of it, but they don't make any stops in Asia... Because that the Bible says that they'd been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Which we're never exactly told why that is. We know that eventually they do go to Asia on another trip. But on this one, they skip over Asia completely. And they arrive at Philippi. Now, of course, in your Bible, you have the book of Philippians. And this is that book is written to the people in Philippi and all the things that happened there. Now, I can't help but think that some of the fruit they had in Philippi had, had to do with the reason why God had them skip over Asia because they, they, um, they skipped over Asia and they ended up meeting a group of people there that they had a lot of fruit with. And that's where they met Lydia. Do you remember Lydia? There was actually three significant conversions that happened in Philippi. The first one is Lydia. And the way that happened was they, they went down by the riverside because they didn't have a synagogue in Philippi. And so Paul knew that the, 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 the Jewish people there or those who were followers of the Jewish faith would be meeting outside the city. And so they, he went to the river and he found uh, Lydia and some actually it was all women, found a group of women that they, they were, they were meeting. And Lydia's converted, her whole household is converted, they're all baptized. The next thing, the next convert, is a slave girl who was demon possessed that was following them around. Uh, and, you know, and Paul allowed her to follow them around saying these things for days, days. And then the Bible says that he became greatly annoyed and eventually casts a, cast a demon out of her. And as a result, he gets thrown in prison. He and Silas get thrown in prison. And then you'll remember at midnight, they were praying and singing, hym- singing hymns, and the Bible says there was a great earthquake, and they were all set free. All the prisoners were set free, and at that moment, the jailer just, he was about to commit suicide because he was so upset that he thought all the prisoners had escaped, and Paul tells them, you know, no, uh, we're still here. He preaches the gospel to the jailer. The jailer is saved, and all of his household is saved, and they're all baptized as well. Now we are officially caught up, all right, from last semester. So that's kind of the things that happen, and that's right where we left off last semester. But we're still in the middle of that story here in Acts chapter 16, verse 35. This story with the jailer is not quite over yet, and that's where we're gonna pick up. That's where we're gonna pick up tonight. Wow, I don't know if I ever preached that much, you know, covered that much in that short of time, but there it is. Acts chapter 16, verse 35. So jailers been saved, whole household baptized, and now we pick up verse 35. When it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let, loose those, let, let those men go, talking about Paul and, and Silas. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go, therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. You know... I just love Paul. I like Paul for so many reasons. I have to admit, I think I told you this that I identified just a little more with Paul than I did Barnabas. but I, I, I like people too, and I encourage people too, but Paul, it just I love his grit. I love his mentality, and I like scriptures like this. I like examples like this, because a lot of times Christians think that they have to be like doormats, that just they can't ever stand up for themselves. They can't ever say anything direct. They can't ever speak the truth. I mean, the Bible does say speak the truth in love, right? They can't ever stand up for themselves. They can't ever correct bad behavior. They can't ever correct people. They just got to love, love, love. And just about any time a Christian, uh, you know, does anything outside of what people might think is love, somebody from the world, somebody who's not a follower of Christ is going to stand up and say, well, don't, aren't you a Christian? Aren't you supposed to walk in love? Aren't you supposed to not, you know, judge and all of that? Well, did you know? that most people who think that, A, don't even follow the Lord themselves, but they're going to tell you what you're supposed to do. <laughs> you know, that's you. They don't walk in love and not judge, but they're going to tell you what you're... because they just know the Bible so well and, you know, follow... So. No, they don't know, but they, they think they know. But here's the thing. This is why you got to read the whole counsel of God. Are we supposed to walk in love and not judge? Yeah, that's part of it. But if you read Jesus' ministry... There's some things that he said to the Pharisees that'll kind of make your eyebrows raise a little bit. You go, man, he was calling them names. <laughs> he was making fun of them. He told them they was on their way to hell. I mean, he, 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 he challenged their righteousness, said your righteousness is fake. It's not even real. You're hypocrites. I mean, he, he was direct with them. And so anybody who says, well, Jesus was all love. Yeah, he was. But you just don't understand exactly what love is. That's the problem. Because, see, love is not just always being nice. And so, Paul, I love this that, that <laughs> the magistrates, see, what they did was wrong. And, and the way they handled this was not correct. And they knew it wasn't correct. They, could, they were not supposed to do what they did the way that they did it. And I'm gonna, we're going to get into that later. And Paul knew that. Paul knew what was going on. Paul knew his rights very, very well. Now they're wanting to go, all right, all right, you guys, you know, y'all head out into the night and you know, we'll, get, we'll kind of sweep this problem and get rid of it. And Paul said, hold on a minute. Y'all beat us. You flogged us. Then you put us in prison. There was no trial. There was no, because Rome was a place of law and order. It was governed, Rome was governed by laws. There were certain way things were supposed to be done. They didn't follow any of those procedures and he had a trump card that they didn't know about, and that was his Roman citizenship. Because they could get away with a lot of this if you weren't a citizen. But if you were a Roman citizen, it'd be just like in our nation in a lot of ways. You know, if you have an illegal immigrant and they get treated a certain way, what are they going to say? Are they Are going to go to the police? I mean, what are they going to do? You, you, you know, they're, they're kind of in that r- between a rock and a hard place. You ha- but a citizen is totally different. And so Paul, they didn't, of course, know that Paul was a citizen. So he speaks up and he says, look, you've done all these things and we're Roman citizens. And I like that because this tells us a lot about what's okay for Christians to do and not do. You know, some might have thought, well, Paul, you probably should have just left. And, you know, you might think of scriptures like this. Well, vengeance is up to the Lord, you know, and that kind of thing. And that's true. That is a scripture. But it's okay in certain situations, to stand up for yourself. To have boundaries in your life. To call out evil. To correct bad behavior. That's, that's a big part of being a Christian too. And so, it's okay for Christians to be bold. It's okay for Christians, apparently, to appeal to their rights under the law. That's okay. So, Paul actually could have prosecuted them but he doesn't he actually does let the issue go so but he does make it he does want to let them know he says i want you to know what you did and i want you to know that i'm a roman citizen and i want you to know that it could have gone this way so the police reported these words to the magistrates that they were afraid when they and so it says and they were afraid when they heard that they were roman citizens now why would they be afraid I mean, you think about that. These are the guys you just put in jail. You were just beating them. You you held all the cards. Now, when you find out that he's a Roman citizen, the Bible says that they were afraid when they heard that these were Roman citizens because they they knew that these guys had tremendous recourse and they knew that the penalty could be very, very severe. There There could be severe legal repercussions for what they had done. So... Verse 39, so they came and apologized to them. Man, the tables have kind of turned here. They came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. That was the first convert, the woman who was leading the Bible study. They visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now, we're going to spend some time looking at Paul's Roman citizenship because I want you to understand this and this is one of those things that you'll read about in the Bible multiple times. Paul brings up the fact that he was a Roman citizen multiple times. And I think there are a lot of uh, less there's a lot of information for us here but there's a lot of lessons too um, about how Paul used that in his time in ministry. It's very interesting because Paul held a status that really as far as we know, none of the other apostles held, and even Jesus himself did not hold. You know, you, it's interesting because had Paul, had Jesus held Roman citizenship like Paul did, he actually could not have been crucified legally. A Roman citizen could not be crucified. And then, you you know, you find out later about the other apostles. Like, for example, Peter ended up being crucified. Well, that couldn't have happened if he was a Roman citizen. That No Roman citizen could be crucified. They could be executed, but they could not be crucified. That was, that was part of the law. So I want us to look at uh, this map of the Roman Empire so that you can kind of understand uh, what's going on here a little bit better. This is the map of the Roman Empire at the time that around about the time that Paul would have been ministering here. It was it was hard to find a map of the exact date, but this is very, very close to that time of uh, when he would be ministering. Now, what is circled there in the middle, that's where they're at. That's Macedonia. You can see to the right, you can see Asia, the other pink spot there. But this is the... So you can see the Roman Empire is very, very vast, very, very large at this time, and this wasn't even nearly as big as it got, but at this time, it was already this size. Now, if you, if you see the green and the pink, those are two different types of provinces. So Rome had a system of government where the emperor had pretty much absolute power in what was called the imperial provinces, and those are the ones in green, so in these provinces, the, the emperor had a lot more power than he did in the pink ones because the pink ones were the senatorial provinces. And these were the ones that were actually led by a senate, by the by the senate, kind of like we have today. It was led by, a, it was almost like a democracy. It was led in a much different way. So in the, and of course, the emperors always wanted more green provinces and the senators always wanted more pink provinces. And so here was kind of the general rule of thumb. The senatorial provinces, the pink ones, were more democratic. They were more peaceful. They were more led by rules and, and law. And in the green ones, it was almost kind of anything anything goes. I mean, they, it was still law and order, but the emperor had way more leeway, way more chance to abuse power and things like that. But in the senatorial provinces, the pink ones, it wasn't like that. Well, they're in... One of the senatorial provinces, which is why you get the reaction that you get from these guys when they find out that he's a Roman citizen. In, in the imperial provinces, that, that you didn't know. You didn't really know from one to the next exactly how it was going to be. I mean, it could be in one, it could be law and order. In the next, it could be chaos. It was very different, but in the senatorial provinces, there was a lot more law and order. And here's the point. Paul had Roman citizenship through every one of these provinces. And this is amazing because you think about this was a, a very special tool that God had given him kind of in his tool belt as a thing that opened doors and made life a little bit easier for him. And you see him pull it out of his tool belt many times. This was the first time we read about it, but it's going to happen again in the book of Acts. Uh, and, and actually, you see, it, you see it throughout the New Testament a couple times where this influenced how Paul ministered. And that's just an important note for us because I think sometimes we have very sort of natural things in our life that we feel like are disconnected from spiritual things, you know, disconnected from the kingdom in some way. But there's so many times that the natural things that we have in our life, God's actually going to use to To accomplish ministry and accomplish his goals through our life, and I think a lot of times it 's good for us to sort of look at what 's in our hand of you know what 's at our disposal what what maybe you could just look at gifts that 'd be one thing, what type of things are you good at, but maybe it 's money that 's at your disposal maybe it 's influence that 's at your disposal, maybe you know relationships that 's at your disposal but God can use those things in your life to accomplish ministry and accomplish his goals. And that's what we see here for Paul. I I mean, I I see so many lessons in this. You know, because if I'm Peter, maybe I'm a little bit jealous of Paul. You know, I, I, I look at Paul and I go, man, Paul... You know, Paul's got that citizenship. He can go all over the Roman Empire. And he don't have to worry about the things that I, that I have to worry about. He's got a different status than me. And then sometimes you hear Paul almost sort of a little tinge of jealousy against Peter by saying, well, you know, at least Peter gets to be married. You know, he's got a wife, and his wife gets to travel around with him. I'm alone all the time. You know, so they could kind of look at each other, and, you know, Christians can do that. You start looking at other people, and you go, well, he's got this, and I've got that, and well, it's not fair on this, and well, we all have different things. We've all been blessed in different ways, and instead of looking at what other people have or what you don't have, it'd be good to ask God, you know, why do I have the things in my life that I have? Why do I have the gifts? Why am I in Alexandria? Why, why have I been blessed the way that I am? Why do I have this influence? Why do I have a, uh, these relationships? Well... No matter uh, what you're doing in life, I believe that it's supposed to be used for the kingdom in some way. And it's not just pastors and church that are supposed to be. It's, you know, every believer has something to offer. And I just think there's so much, so much of a lesson here in how Paul, you know, chose to use his citizenship. So let's spend a little time there because this was a tool that he would use throughout the rest of his ministry and uh this will give you a lot of information kind of about Paul and why it was so important to him. So first of all, having Roman citizenship was a very big deal. Now, if you know uh you know any anything at all about the Roman Empire, the way that the Roman Empire grew was they would they would take over areas and those areas would become Roman provinces. And in a lot of cases, in a conquered area they would do one of two things they would either put up one of their figureheads to rule you know maybe like a tetrarch you know or or a leader to rule that province or in some cases they would make deals with the people they were taking that their leader would stay in charge but under the roman empire rule you know so there was there was a lot of different ways the roman empire expanded and so every province was just so different So, so different. And so for Paul to have, or we could just say a Roman citizen in general, for a Roman citizen in general to have access to freely flow throughout all of these provinces. I mean, it's almost like America in the beginning, when America's expanding and, you know, we take on different states and more, and the more states we take on, like the more I can travel, the more freedom I have in these places. Like I'm, and so there might be parts of the U.S. that At that time, you didn't have any access to. But then when it becomes a state, man, this whole new place opened up to you. And that's how it was with the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was constantly expanding. And so for Paul, think about how he's thinking. This is all ministry. Every time, you know, this citizenship gave him a door into all these places in the Roman Empire to bring the gospel. And, you know, as a result of it, he became the the most important and most effective church planter that the world had ever seen. I mean, this is what he did. He planted churches everywhere he goes. And then the ability not only to plant these churches, but then to go revisit them, to go back in, back in and see these churches and pastor them and disciple them. That was all because of his Roman citizenship. He could go... See, you didn't see that with Peter and some of the other ones. They had very specific locations where they would operate because... They didn't have the same freedom that Paul had. Or that's one reason. There could have been other reasons. But, you know, and part of it was their call. But they operated differently than Paul. Paul had a lot of access that they didn't have because of his citizenship. So it was a a very big deal. It was not a small thing. Uh, This was everything for your future and and, uh, generations after you for their future. This is how important it was. It was a difference between having full privilege to all Rome's benefits, just like in our country, to have every single benefit of the United States to only have impartial. You know, there are people in our country that due to their status, wherever they're at with you know immigration or things like that, that maybe they can't vote or they can't draw certain benefits from the government and, and may, things like that. So it was a difference between having full privilege versus partial. And it was so important that False claims of citizenship were prosecuted under law, and it was such an important issue that this was one of the key issues that the Roman civil wars were fought over. So this would happen uh, this would happen later, but the Roman Empire eventually had a bunch of civil wars between these provinces that we're talking about, and the whole Really, the whole issue was when these provinces would rise up. They're like, we want to be Roman citizens. In other words, if you're going to make us part of Rome, and you're going to bring us in part of this huge, huge empire, then we want full citizenship. You know, we don't want to be treated as like lesser conquered subjects. We want to be brought in as full citizenships. And when it wasn't given, eventually it led to civil war. So. Um, One historian wrote about the Civil Wars. and said, Citizenship was what they most wanted. And they thought by this single thing that they would become masters instead of subjects. Right before Christ, three million people were added as citizens to the Roman Empire. This was partial, just a partial. So, again, there would be concessions made, deals with Rome, you know, certain provinces. and, And these people would receive citizenship. These people wouldn't. You know, it was very depending on what the emperor wanted, depending on what the synod wanted, all of that. It wasn't until 212 A.D., so, you know, roughly 200 years after Christ, that citizenship was granted across the empire to all free men. So eventually they got tired of fighting these civil wars, and they they changed how they conquered nations, and eventually they made it where citizenship was granted to all uh, people across the empire that were free. But that was not the case during Paul's time. So it was at his time, it was a very, very big deal. Also, uh, it was not common for a Jew at all to have citizenship. This was very, very uncommon. And Paul specifically says that he obtained his citizenship by birth. And there were, there were three ways that you could obtain citizenship. One was by birth, which is how Paul said he got it. Uh, and this would be much in the way that an immigrant would get uh, g- would get citizenship in the u s from his parents, in other words, maybe his parents, whatever process they went through, but then when their children were born uh, into the United States, they received citizenship. This is how uh Paul obtained it. The other way uh was something called manumission this was this had to do with being freed from slavery, and the final way was through special concession now this was this is why it was so hard to get because if you were trying to obtain citizenship, Roman citizenship, then there was only a few ways you could get it. Because number one, it was very expensive. It cost about two years wages to acquire citizenship. It could be gifted to you as some sort of, you know, favor. You had some sort of end with the emperor or something like that. And also, you could you could you could obtain it through military service, through 25 years of military service. In other words, over 25 years of serving in the uh, in the Roman military, you could be you could be gifted uh, citizenship. And I can see why they made that deal, because probably most people most Roman soldiers didn't make it to 25 years; they probably got killed on the battlefield. So, that didn't really have to they didn't have to worry about that too much. So, Paul's citizenship was an enormous deal. He, he speaks about it in another place, Acts chapter 22. We're going to skip there, and of course, eventually, we'll get to Acts chapter 22 eventually, but we won't be spending this much time on Paul's citizenship, so we'll just cover it now. But if you look at Acts twenty-two twenty-five, 25, Paul's in trouble again. It says, but when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and, con- and uncondemned? Now you see Paul's getting smarter. See, before when he got flogged, he waited. Look, last the, the, fir- the time we're reading about in Acts 16, by the time he brings up the citizenship, he'd already been flogged. He'd already been in prison. He, they'd already done all the damage, and they're about to release him, and he says, Hey, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. Now... By the time we get to chapter 22, he's probably getting a little older, you know. He's just, he's like, I'm not fooling around with this mess. They they stretch him out for the whips. He's very respectful about it. Of course, he knows the answer to his rhetorical question, but he says, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to them, What are you about to do, for this man is a Roman citizen? So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, yes. And the tribune answered, well, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, yeah, but I'm a citizen by birth. So even that implies for some, you know, that getting it by birth was more prestigious for whatever reason. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. I mean, look how powerful this is. They're about to whip him. They've got him stretched out. He makes one statement. He says, I'm a Roman citizen. And look what happened. They turned the whole thing around so it says, those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune was also afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. So even just tying him up was illegal because of his citizenship. So you can see why this was coveted. You can see why this was so powerful. It gave him a tremendous amount of rights and privileges and power and influence and even safety, really. Now, for whatever reason, he didn't always take advantage of that safety. Maybe he was spirit-led when to use it, when not. Maybe, maybe he realized that if he every time he you know, pulled that card, if they just make him leave the city, well, how's he going to do ministry there? So maybe he tries to keep it covert as much as he can you know, and stay there and minister as long as he can. But it gave him a tremendous amount of rights and privileges. Here's a list of some of the things it did for him. Number one, it gave him the right to vote in Roman assemblies. It gave him the right to run for public office. He never did that, but he gave him the right. He could make legal contracts and own property and land. He could have a legal Roman marriage. Immunity. Gave him immunity from certain taxes. Gave him the right to sue others. Right to have a legal trial. Right to appeal the verdict of your trial. Gave him the right to appeal to Caesar and be given a trial in Rome. This comes up later. If you remember... At the end of the book of Acts, that's really where the book of Acts ends. You know, really the book of Acts was never finished in a sort of way. That's where the book of Acts ends is that Paul was being charged and he didn't think he was getting the verdict that he wanted. And so as a Roman citizen, he had the right to appeal to Caesar. And at that point, when that happened, all other trials stopped and he got to be shipped off to be heard by Caesar and so we, we run into this again at the end of the book of Acts so you, again we just I wanted you to understand it so you knew how important it was and why it keeps coming up he had the right to not be subject to scourging or torture and so crucifixion was part of that uh, even though Roman citizens could be sentenced to death it was not by torture or crucifixion they had to be executed immediately and matter of fact Cicero, who was one of the emperors, said that the very word cross should be far removed, not only from the Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. The mere mention of such a thing is shameful for a Roman citizen and a free man. So the Romans were known for crucifixion. They crucified a lot of people, but not not Roman citizens. So in a sense, Paul was immune from that. And really, he was, in, in theory... He was immune from all beatings, <laughs> stonings, torture, you know, being imprisoned without a trial. He was immune from all that, yet how many times do we read about the man being stoned, whipped, thrown in prison? And so it's a, this is another part of it that just makes so much more sense when you understand his citizenship. And on the one hand, what he had his rights to, but on the other hand, what he sacrificed for the gospel. When he could have been living in comfort and never had to be put in those situations, he voluntarily put himself in those situations over and over and over and over and over over again. I mean, all you got to do is go read in Corinthians where he's uh, feeling sorry for himself one of the times and he starts listing out and writing all of his troubles and shipwrecks and pains. And you find out he went through a lot of stuff that apparently he actually didn't have to go through if he had not wanted to, but he chose to do it. He chose to suffer. He chose to be in some of these places where his life was in danger so that he could minister to the gospel, minister the gospel. But obviously, there were some cases where he used the citizenship to his advantage. And uh, I don't know, I just, I find so many lessons in that because I think in America, we're very, very comfortable. You know, we, we're very... It's very comfortable for us, and it is, you know, you got to say, life is good being an American. You especially say that if you've been anywhere else in the world. Life is very good being an American. If you're an American citizen, life is very good, and life is very comfortable, and sometimes that, that comfort, though, it can be so comfortable that you never want to go outside of that comfort to do the will of God. You never want to go outside of that comfort to sacrifice for other people because you don't want to lose that comfort. You enjoy that comfort. So we, enjoy, we enjoy our time. We enjoy our, our leisure. We enjoy our pleasures. We enjoy our money. We enjoy you know, all of that, and we don't want to go outside of that to, to sacrifice for the gospel. And so this is an example to us. You know, Paul could have lived a much more comfortable life than this. He, he, could, he obviously had the power and those things at his, uh, you know, at, at his discretion that he could, have, he could have lived a much more comfortable life. But instead, he, he voluntarily sacrificed some of those things and put himself in harm's way for love of the people. And when you read the Gospels, and look, I know that I'm y'all's pastor, and y'all would be much better off in the hands of Paul the Apostle. I'm going to tell you that right now, because if you look at how Paul loved his, the people that he led, Look, Paul said one place, he said basically what he was saying is that he would go to hell for the Jewish people if it would mean them getting saved. And I just got to tell you, I'm not there yet. I'm not going to hell for anybody. Heck no. I might spend a few seconds there for you, but other than that, no, I'm not doing it. But Paul loved the people that he ministered to so much. He gave so much. He sacrificed so much for the love of people. I mean, he just, he was so passionate about it. And without really understanding the citizenship, you don't actually understand what he was given up. You don't really understand what he was given up. This wasn't the first time he did this, by the way. Because he, he had this on the Roman front. But think about what he had in the Jewish side of things. When he was a Pharisee, studied at the feet of Gamaliel, sat on the, the high council. He gave all that up. Lost all of that. Lost all of his friends. They, they turned around and tried to kill him. Ended up going over a, a, the wall in a basket. He gave up all of that for the gospel. Then, that's on the Jewish side. Then on the Roman citizenship side. He wasn't taking advantage of all of these, all of these rights. I mean, he, he took advantage of them sometimes. And I think that was wisdom. But he didn't live for these rights. He laid them down voluntarily to serve the people of God, and it, and it cost him dearly. I mean, by the end of his life, he's like, look, I've been poured out. This is how he said, he said, I have been poured out like a drink offering. Referring back to the Old Testament, he said, my life has been spent, every ounce of me poured out. I have run my race. I have fought, my, fought the fight. Just look at how he talked about his life. He said, it's a race that I'm, ra- I'm running to win. He said, it's a fight. I'm fighting to win. And he said, I have fought the good fight, and I'm ready to go home. And be with the Lord. And, you know, you just see his passion for the people of God. And, and when I read these things, it challenges me because I go, what am I sacrificing for the gospel? And we ought to ask that question. You know, when we read things like this, we read through the book of Acts, we see Paul's life. Um, you know, sometimes we get caught up on all the, uh, the, the beauty of the gospel and the benefits of the gospel and the grace of the gospel. Praise God for all of that. But, you know, if it weren't for people like Paul that sacrificed literally almost everything, many of us would not even be sitting in this room today. I mean, some of us are saved today because of sacrifices that other people have made. You know, and so what we have to do is give that and pass that to the next generation because we're that generation now that says we're going to fight, we're going to pray, we're going to stand. The world around us is crumbling In many ways, falling apart. Certainly morals are crumbling in this nation. A lot of things, a lot of, you know, Christians, I mean, I just read a statistic last Sunday about the number of Christians that even believe the Bible is the word of God anymore. All that's changing. Morality's changing. You know, marriage is changing. Everything's changing. Well, there has to be, you know, and sometimes if you're in that, you can feel alone in that. But how do you think Paul felt? I mean, how do you think Paul felt? I read one time, I think we may have read when talking about Paul, one time where he begins to list in one of the epistles, he says, you know, this one left me, this one left me, this one's left me, this one's gone away. He said, now I'm just here by myself. (laughs) You know, and uh, I read, I listed it out one time. It was over 20 people that Paul had worked with at one time or another that were gone, come and go, come and go. But he stayed strong, he stayed consistent, he stayed doing. And how many of you know that God needs people like that? God needs Christians like He needs people like us that, you know, yeah, we could probably, some of us, you know, we could probably be living a little bit better life than we're living now. I mean, really, if you wanted to live much better life, you could just probably leave Alexandria and go just about anywhere and probably have a little bit better life. You know, just being honest. This is not really where peop, a lot of people might pick to live, per se, Because, right, you could go down to the beach. How many of you like going to the beach? I mean, I go to visit. I go to vacation on the beach, and I'm like, you know, me and Jen joke around, look at each other and think, hey, you know, we could live here. I mean, hey, we could start another campus, another church campus over here. You know, we'd do both places. No, but, you know, I'm not here uh, because this was my pick. Now, just being honest with you, I do love Alexandria because I was raised here. I grew up here. But I've been a lot of other places in the world, too, that are nice. Yeah, I act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe y'all love Alexandria. I don't know. I just, uh, but anyway, Alexandria is fine. The point is, if you want to live the good life, you might go somewhere else. But I'm not here in Alexandria because it's the best place in America to live. I'm here because God called me here. And I would never leave because God's called me here. And so many people, uh, that's not how they think. They don't. They think that their life is their own. They don't, they don't live like... That God is in charge of what you do, where you live, how you work, how you minister. They don't, they don't live like that. But see, Paul was the, he was the epitome of this. He lived every day, and that was his mindset. He said, this isn't my life. The life I live, I, I no longer live in the flesh. He said, this is not the Paul. He said, the life I live, he said, I live crucified to Christ. He said, I live crucified for Christ. So he had this great privilege of the Roman citizenship, but he also sacrificed it and laid it down. He could have been living the good life, but instead he was actually, in a lot of ways, he was suffering for the gospel. One place he said in the New Testament, and again, this is where I probably don't quite, me and Paul, you know, we're not quite on the same level yet, you know. Um, But there was one place where he was talking about all the suffering that he's gone through, and he said, my my cup of suffering, when I consider my cup of suffering, he said, I look at it and it's not quite full yet. And what he was talking about in that passage was that his, he wanted his cup of suffering to measure up to Christ's cup of suffering. He said, I'm looking at, I'm paraphrasing, but basically what he was saying is, I'm looking at Christ's cup and what he suffered and I'm looking at my cup and I'm only about half full. And he said, I want to continue until my cup of suffering matches Christ's cup of suffering. When's the last time you prayed that? Because just being honest, I ain't never, I've never prayed that, you know. But you see this mentality in the apostles that suffering, what? I'm not afraid of suffering. I'm not a matter of fact, suffering, it was like suffering's a given. Because it's going to be a sacrifice to live for the gospel. You know, so there, there, there are times in our life, in order to be a Christian, it will cost you something. It will cost you something. It will cost you to do the will of God. And when you've truly laid down your life, you already made that decision early on in in, in your relationship with Christ. So, as you go forward and you got to give up something or you got to sacrifice something, you got to let go of something, it was something that you already crucified before you said, I already knew this was the deal. I never intended that this life was really about me and about living the good life. I've already given that up a long time ago. And I think for a Christian that is truly sold out to the Lord, this is their mentality. And it is this. This life is not about me. The next life is for the relaxing and the retirement and the good times and all of that. But this life, it's about sacrificing for the kingdom of God. And if if we could get that mindset shift in us, and let me just be honest with you, it's kind of hard to get that mindset into Americans. Because we're, we we do. We have it so good. We have way more comfort, way more wealth than any, anywhere else in the world. And... but. Most Christians, 90% of Christians around the world, it's costing them a lot more to live for God than it is us. And what am I saying? Am I saying, well, you know, go move to another country so you can suffer? No, of course not. All I'm saying is just be aware of it. Just be aware that that's the case. And that sometimes, um, yeah, doing the will of God is going to cost you. I mean, I, I talk to people all the time. See, I wasn't even planning on talking about this, but I'm going to just stay here for a minute because I'm getting some funny looks. So we're going to stay here a minute. But I talk to people in my office all the time. I, this is a huge part of what I do is meet with people. And I talk to people regularly. I can't tell you how many times in the last 12 years that I'm talking to someone, their life is broken, everything's in shambles, they're losing everything, they've got extreme pain being caused by their decisions and choices and things like that and you'll tell them something what I would think is very simple here's what you need to do to change your situation you need to do this, you need to do this you need to do this and look at you like I can't do that I can't do that and I'm thinking man you would think the pain you're in would would cause you to want to do this but this is what I've found out the level of pain that somebody has to be in To actually want to change and and want to change behavior and maybe want to sacrifice something, want to give up something, the level of pain that they have to be in is pretty severe. And it, and it shouldn't be that way. We should be used to making sacrifices for the kingdom. We should be used to making sacrifices for others. We should be used to making sacrifices because that's the life that God's, Call us to. If you get too used to just living a life of comfort all the time, and you never make any sacrifices, when it comes time to make a sacrifice, it's going to be really hard. I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you has ever cost you to live for God? Yeah, it's cost me. I know that in more ways than one. But this is what I found out: you can't ever outgive God. You can't ever out-sacrifice God because whatever you sow is going to come back to you doesn't matter how, what what form you're sowing in, God's going to take care of you and it's going to come back to you. Even if it's not in this life, the next life is going to be really good. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's see here. I think we just about covered everything. Um, got a few more things here, but we'll cover most of it. So I think one of the uh main things I just wanted to close with is this idea that Paul you know used his citizenship in more than one instance to say hey I have these rights and you need to respect them and that he he in no way saw that as an ungodly in an ungodly thing and I think uh sometimes you know Christians have to do that i think that christians should be very involved in politics you know some there are whole denominations that they don't they don't think that you should be involved in politics because they don't think that christians you know we're so part of the kingdom mindset that we're not supposed to be part of the kingdom of this world but that's not biblical i mean the bible says multiple places to pray for your leaders pray for those that are in authority even said pray for the emperor so that's that's part of our christian duty and I think the confusion comes in is, if you live in a nation where you have no rights as a Christian, you've got to live one way. If you live in a nation where you have rights and you have citizenship, you ought to live a totally different way. In other words, every Christian ought to vote, and they ought to vote according to, according to very important, according to biblical values. Not what's popular, not what's going on in the media, not necessarily what gives them the best standard of living. That's not the thing. That's not how Christians ought to be voting. Christians ought to vote according to biblical values and biblical morals and what is right and according to truth. That's what, that's what ought to matter. Not what group you're part of, not what color you are, not what part of the country you're from, none of that. That's that for a Christian. Being a Christian supersedes all of that. I mean, we all have these different little identities being a Christian supersedes all of that and we should because how you vote says something about your heart. says something about who you are as a person. says something about your Christian values. See this is why as a pastor I care about it is because the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Well that that applies to a lot of things. Out of the abundance of the heart the finger votes too. So it it says something about where you're at with God how you, how you vote so I think Christians should be very involved in that I love when I see and we have some in this church I love when I see Christian people running for political office or even in the you know city just city officials because yeah we need godly people in leadership and, and in places to, to, of power to help spread the gospel because you can spread the gospel from anywhere that you're at and uh, I'll close with this story I know When I was in Shreveport, uh, Pastor Sam Carr was telling me a story about one of the things that happened to their church one time was that if you, it's a word of life in Shreveport. They've been there for over 40 years, and they're on Meriwether Drive there right by the airport, and at some point, the airport wanted to expand, and they, you know, had a lot of clout, influence, whatever, and this is just in Little Church, which it wasn't Little Church, it's several thousand people. And the airport decided that they needed, the city decided that the airport needed the church's property. And I don't exactly know all the laws and rules of it, but it wasn't really a, uh, it wasn't really a discussion. It was like, we're taking your property and, you know, we'll give you something over, somewhere else or whatever. And Pastor Sam prayed about it and he was like, no. This, God gave us this property. He gave us this church. And I don't believe that that's what's supposed to happen. Well, they had to get lawyers. They had, to, they had to fight it in court. It was a several-year battle. But they kept their church, and they kept, they kept their property, and they're still, still there today. And some people would look at that, and they go, well, I don't know if they should have done that because of their mentality of how Christians are supposed to act and do. And, you know, you, you, you read one scripture, and you think, oh, well, you're not supposed to do this. Well, here's the bottom line. I see Paul handling it differently in different situations. There were times where he appealed to his citizenship. There were times that he did not, and I think you get in trouble any time you find a scripture and you just try to go, "Oh, this is this how you should always do every every time." Well, that's why the Bible gave, that's why the that's why God gave us the Holy Spirit is so that we could be led in different situations about how to apply and what to and how to apply the Word of God. And all I'm saying is is this that we live in a day and age where I don't think Christians ought to just be kind of laying down as doormats. We live in a day and age where Christians really need a voice right now. I'm talking about in our nation. We, we live in a time where one of, one of the reasons why we're seeing such a dramatic slide towards immorality is because Christians are not being forceful enough. Christians are not speaking out about it enough. They're not being, you know, forceful enough with it. And I do think that we are called to that. I do think that we're called to that. And when we're timid and we back off, well, we're going to walk in love. We don't want to upset anybody. Well, what happens is, yeah, you're doing that, but you're really doing that for self-preservation. And that really, that the world needs Christians to speak up. They need Christians to be a part of what's going on because we're the only gatekeepers. You understand that we're the only gatekeepers uh, in this nation. And if Christianity begins to die off and we're quiet and we go into the shadows and we don't want to we don't want to stand up and say, "Hey, no, this is too, you know, you've gone this far, this is too far." This is what we think about it. If we don't do that, you're going to just see the floodgates of sin just come like a tidal wave and there's not going to be much left of a Christian nation. So it's very important and I you know, at this point where we're at, I don't know how the tides can be turned by all of that. All I'm saying is that we've got to get our minds right on that. And we've got to be okay with fighting for those things that need to be fought for, just as Paul did. Paul had no problem saying, hey, you can't do this. I know you're, I know you're an official. I know you're a leader. I know you're in the government. I'm telling you, you're wrong for doing this, and you're violating my rights, and you can't do that. That's essentially what he did. He did it more than once. And I, and I think that for Christians, we, we might need to have that mindset a little bit that, hey, sometimes we need to stand up and say, this isn't right, and what you're doing isn't right, and you need to stop what you're doing. And uh, I'm for that, and I think God's for that. You know, I don't, I don't see Paul out, you know, picketing and protesting on the street. I don't see that, but I see in the situations where he was in that he wasn't afraid to stand up and say, hey, this is wrong, and I have rights, and you don't need to trample on those.